You may be seated. And please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 11. You can grab the pew Bible in front of you if you don't have your own. There's also an insert in the bulletin that has a section of John 11 and the four points of the sermon this morning. We've been looking at the I am statements that Jesus makes throughout the book of John. We work through John chapter 10, seeing that Jesus is the door, Jesus is the good shepherd, and this week we're into John chapter 11. Remember, Jesus was confronted by a man who was born blind, and it's a challenge, I think, in our lives to see somebody in a condition where maybe we feel sorry for them, or, but, but they're not like part of our family or us, and now in chapter 11, Jesus has to deal with somebody that's close to Him that is sick and is sick unto death. And so John chapter 11 starts with Mary and Martha and Lazarus who lived in Bethany, not two miles from where Jesus was in Jerusalem at the time. And word gets to Jesus about Lazarus being sick and they want Him to come. I mean, He can heal a man born blind, surely he would heal somebody who he knows and loves, and yet sickness, death usually doesn't fall at a convenient time for us, does it? And yet this was part of God's agenda for His Son Jesus. In fact, in verse 3 it says that it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. This wasn't an accident. This was perfect timing for Jesus to intervene, but He didn't intervene right away. Lazarus dies, and Mary and Martha are grieving, and others around with Him, and they're lamenting that Jesus wasn't there when Lazarus died. Follow along as I read John eleven seventeen through 27, and then 38 to 44. Now, when Jesus came, He found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Mar- Mar- Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. Let's skip down to verse 38. When then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, and his hands and feet bound with linen strips, 
and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and the truth that is before us. We thank you for this account that we see of the mighty power of Jesus, our Savior, to raise the dead to life. Thank you, Lord, for the promise of resurrection that we have before us. Thank you, Lord, for the sure testimony, the confident testimony that we have that we shall rise again, even as our Savior Jesus was risen again. The one who had power to raise Lazarus is at work before us. Lord, I pray that we would not go away from this place unchanged, but that Your Word would accomplish all that You intended. Lord, that You would reshape our thinking, reshape our doing, reshape the way that we approach life because we have met with You, because we have been conformed to Your Word and its truth, Lord. Have Your way with us. Change us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you remember, we've been looking at the I Am statements of Jesus. Who does Jesus say that He is? And each of these statements give us a particular emphasis on one component of Jesus' character, one aspect of who He is. We see in the bread that Jesus says, I am the bread, it shows His provision for us. When Jesus says He is the light of the world, we see that He brings vision and sight. When He says, I am who I am, it affirms His eternal existence. When He says, I am the door, it shows the exclusive nature of a relationship with the Father through Jesus only. When Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, He shows His intimate, His personal relationship with us and His care for us as His sheep. Today we're going to examine this next I am statement. I am the resurrection and the life. This shows most clearly our Savior's unmatched power the greatest power, the greatest enemy that we come up against is death. All mankind has to face death. No one can escape it. Even though everyone will fight it, nobody can cheat death. That doesn't stop us from trying, though, does it? We ultimately fail, but we'll try potions and creams and anti-aging products and exercise and diet regime regimens, we'll starve, we'll sweat, we'll spend a fortune on products and procedures, all to try and beat death, to fight the effects of aging, but we're all going to finally lose. But then there's Jesus. Jesus who says, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus boldly claims that He'll not only defeat death for Himself, that He will rise again, but that He will defeat death for us, those who believe on Him, all who believe on Him. Let's look at John 11, and we're going to see, first of all, the promise of resurrection. Then we'll see, secondly, the person who is resurrection. Third, the life, life that has resurrection power. And finally, death that has resurrection celebration. First, this promise of resurrection, it's clear to Martha in verse 21 when Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if you've been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. She knew that Jesus was powerful. She knew that Jesus could do miracles, that He could do all things. So, in verse 23, when Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again, 
she went back into her theological database of information, the Old Testament, and realized, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Good theology, Martha. You know your Old Testament. You know the book of Job. Job chapter 19, Job declares, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last He will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. See, that's good theology. That's not, well, we're all going to go into the ground and we're just going to disintegrate into dust and that's the end of things, a materialistic view of what happens to us, or that we'll somehow, after we die, just join the universal force across the universe. No, that, that's not the theology of the Bible. That's not God's revelation to us about what really happens when we die. There were controversies about what happens after death that Jesus faced between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, two different groups of teachers within the Jews. In Matthew 22, Jesus is discussing with the Sadducees. It says that He came, this the same day the Sadducees came to Him, who say there is no resurrection, and they asked Him a question. You see, they had an anti-supernatural bias where they didn't believe in miracles, they didn't believe in the resurrection from the dead. And so they were asking him a trick question about a man gets married and he marries one wife, two wives, three wives, and they all die. Who is going to be his wife in the resurrection? Which we don't believe in, by the way. You see, they're just trying to get him to stumble. But there are today people who don't believe in life after death, wouldn't you say? That most scientifically minded and reasonable people in our country would believe that there's no evidence for life after death. We'll accept Jesus. He is the final evidence of life after death. And it's been confusing to Christians, I think, throughout the ages as to what happens to me, my body, when I actually die. Our Westminster Confession of Faith has a good summary in chapter 32 of the state of men after death and the resurrection of the dead. We read there that the bodies of men after death return to dust and see corruption, but their souls, which neither die nor sleep, have an immortal subsistence. Immediately return to God who gave them. The souls of the righteous, being made perfect in holiness, are received into the highest heavens, where they behold the face of God in light and glory, waiting for the full redemption of their bodies. And the souls of the wicked are cast into hell, wherein they remain in torments and utter darkness, reserved to the judgment of the great day. Besides these two places for souls separated from their bodies, Scripture acknowledges none. There's no limbo. There's no purgatory. There's heaven and there's hell. And in this intermediate state, when we die before Christ returns, before the final resurrection, our souls go to be in His presence if we believe on the Lord Jesus. If we don't, they are cast into hell. But there is a next stage. At the last day, such as are found alive shall not die. If you're living when Jesus comes back, you won't die, but you'll be changed, and then all the dead shall be raised up with the selfsame bodies and none other, although with different qualities, which shall be united again to their souls forever. We get a new body. 
we get a new body that is like our old, but changed and new. The bodies of the unjust shall be, by the power of Christ, be raised to dishonor. The bodies of the just, by His Spirit, unto honor, and be made conformable to His own glorious body. Jesus was resurrected. We see how His resurrected body interacted with the world around Him, how He was able to communicate, how He was able to eat, how people were able to touch His prince and His side. There are similarities that we will have to Jesus' resurrected bodies. Martha has good theology here. She understands the promise that was given all the way to the, in, the, in the Old Testament to Job is now being reiterated again by Jesus, that there truly is a resurrection, that you can look forward to eternal life if you believe on the Lord Jesus. You know, I've seen the peace that overcomes people who know the promise of the resurrection. When suffering hits, when sickness, sickness that leads to death, when death comes, there is a peace when you understand the power of the resurrection, that this is not it, that it's not over, that there is something more, that there is a future. That can bring a peace for death. But let me argue from the greater to the lesser. I think there's a peace that can be had for those who are facing different trials and different struggles and different difficulties that you're not understanding the promise of the resurrection because if God has defeated in Jesus Christ our biggest enemy, death itself, do you not believe that He can defeat these smaller enemies, these smaller problems in your life? Surely He can. Surely He will. We can see that sickness financial problems, conflict with people at home or at work, wayward children, wayward grandchildren. If He promises to conquer death, He can handle these lesser problems of life. And He may not take them away. He may not get rid of them, but He certainly gives us the power to deal with them in a way that will glorify Him, deal with them in a way that has a peace that passes all understanding. You see, a promise is only as good as the person making that promise. And the promise of the resurrection comes from the one who says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who is the eternal God. He is completely trustworthy. And he not only can be trusted, but he has to have the power to do what he's promising to do. And the creator of all things has the power to do with it what he pleases. We can be confident beyond a shadow of a doubt in the resurrection promise because Jesus Himself is raised from the dead. Don't fear, don't doubt, don't panic. You can trust Him for the resurrection of your body unto eternal life. Certainly you can trust Him for the troubles and tribulations of this life. Your body will turn to dust, but through His miracle of resurrection, He will unite that new body with your soul. Now, this is a doctrine, it's a promise, it's something to be believed, but Jesus doesn't just give us a bare doctrine, uh, a theological nugget for us to hold on to. Jesus makes it intimate and personal by saying, I am the resurrection and the life. He's the person who is resurrection. Look at verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. 
do you believe this? He, he asks Martha a very personal question. Do you believe this? And it's a personal question because he's saying, I am the resurrection. Do you believe who I say I am? And she has to respond to a person. Does she believe who he is? And so her profession of faith is in Jesus, the person, not in a doctrine. She says to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who's coming into the world. Resurrection is a personal thing. The person who is resurrection shows up in the last book of the Bible. In Revelation chapter 1, John sees Christ. I fell at his feet as though I were dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, for I am the first and the last the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. I have overcome. I have won over death. At the end of the book of Revelation, it's personal again. This person who is the resurrection, John sees the new heaven and the new earth come, the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, and a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and he will be, they will be his people, and God himself will be their God. It's a personal thing. It's Jesus there, right in our presence. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. The person of the resurrection is Jesus. And when we spend eternity in His presence, no more tears, no more mourning, no more crying. Do you want that day today? I do. I'm excited for that because I'm not just looking forward to a date on a calendar and a doctrine being fulfilled. I'm looking for Jesus, the person who is the resurrection. That's the personal touch of Jesus. This should never be a cold, sterile doctrine, some points of debate that you use to contradict someone who's a materialist only or someone who is an atheist. No, these aren't just points of doctrine. This doctrine is so wrapped up in who Jesus is that we can say He is the resurrection and the life. Think of it this way when it comes to sharing your faith to, to evangelism. When you're sharing your faith, you're not just asking somebody to come to church to come to a place. We aren't inviting people to espouse even a set of doctrines and beliefs because salvation isn't found in right theology. We aren't asking people to believe a certain philosophy or worldview or even an ethical system. We're calling people to meet a person, to meet the one who was raised from the dead. We want them to meet the resurrection and the life, Jesus. Jesus, who's our friend, who we have a personal relationship. Invite them to meet Jesus, to find Jesus in our church, to find Jesus in our theology that we drive, derive from the Bible. We pray that these truths in the Bible would then result in a pattern of living before the face of God in holiness and, and humility. But most of all, I hope that you meet Jesus. I hope that you believe in Jesus who is the resurrection in the life. That's where life is found. Resurrection is in a person. And resurrection gives us power for life now. 
It's not just about the future, although that's the grand display of it that we anticipate, that we look forward to, but life today has resurrection power. Look at uh, what we see in, in the text here when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and life. Whoever believes in me, the, the current condition, are you believing in me now? How can we find power for life today? How can we find power for a life of, of holiness and of piety that I, I know that God's Word tells me that I should live up to this standard, but I don't, don't feel like I have the power to do it? How do I do justice? How do I love mercy? How do I walk humbly with God? I just, I just fail. I, I don't have the power to do this. How can I love God with all my strength, soul, and mind? And how can I love my neighbor even as I love myself? That just seems so out of reach, so impossible in my own strength. Where does the power come from? It comes from Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life. Uh, the resurrection is tied to power for the Christian life, here and now. Paul prayed that, as I mentioned Last week, from Philippians 3, he says that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. There's something about Jesus' resurrection that provides us with power. And that I may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Yes, there is that resurrection from the dead that we long for, but there is a power today for living. In Romans 6, we were buried with Him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. New life, living as Christ calls us to live, is empowered by the resurrection. He goes on to say in Romans chapter 8, if the Spirit of Him who raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. You'll be able to fight sin, you will be able to live a life of righteousness and holiness. He goes on to say, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live according to the Spirit, you will put to death the deeds of the body. You will live resurrection life, here and now, empowered by the same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. Later in Colossians 3, the very beginning of Colossians 3, it says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. It's not talking about some future point. It's talking about here and now. Since you have been raised with Christ, since you in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ have been given eternal life, your life today should look different. You should put off then these members of your earthly body, these sins. And you should put on then these acts of the Spirit done in righteousness. This act of dying to sin and living to righteousness, this is empowered by the resurrection of Jesus. I love how Peter puts it in 2 Peter 1. He says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things. His power given to us through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. Now, this is going to change you. This power, when it works in you, it changes you. 
As Peter says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. For these qualities, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Warning. Don't attempt any of these virtues in your own strength, in your own power. You can't do it. You're going to fail. Or worse yet, you may actually have some measure of success in virtue, in love, in godliness, in brotherly affection, and you might become prideful. You might think, look what I have done. Look at how I am doing. I'm doing better than they are, aren't I? Thank you, Lord. And you might take some credit, and this pride may come into you, self-righteousness, but then you're going to fail. And then when we do fail, it's all the worse. If we do it in our own strength, we're going to become discouraged. We're going to become depressed because I can't measure up. I can't do it. The thing that I want to do, I don't end up doing, and the very thing I don't want to do, that's what I do. That's the struggle that Paul experienced in Romans chapter 7 that you and I, I'm sure, experience when we try to, in our own strength, fight sin and live for righteousness. The power of the resurrection, the power of Jesus, who is the resurrection in the life, that needs to be our strength. He needs to be our strength in order to see victory. Now, death. Death has resurrection celebration. Look at verse 38. Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb, and it was a cave, and that stone that laid against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. Now, if you grew up in the King James like I did, you remember what he said, right? Behold, he stinketh. Well, yeah, that's, that's for sure. Jesus said to her in verse 40, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And then Jesus prays in their presence words that are for their benefit so that they would see, hey, the Father listens to me, and I, am, I can speak to the Father, and He hears me. And then after He says these things in verse 43, He cried out with a loud voice. And I was convicted a little bit when I listened to R.C. Sporrell teach on this. He says, I hear many preachers who say, and Jesus spoke with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. No, he spoke with a loud voice, come out, Lazarus. Yeah, that'll get our attention. That'll wake us up. Sorry if I woke any of you up here. This is the power that is on display for Mary and Martha and Lazarus. A dead man gets to be in full view of the powerful resurrection and life that Jesus alone can give. Oh, the glories of 1 Corinthians 15. It it seems every year that we go through Holy Week and reach Easter, we think of all the promises and the blessings and the excitement of 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul lays out like nowhere else in the entire Bible the doctrine of resurrection and I'm not going to read it for you. You read it this week. You see and you celebrate what is the promise and the power of the resurrection and realize it's all in a person. It's in Jesus himself. And the promise that he gives, I'll just give you a taste. In the end of chapter 15, he says, death is swallowed up 
in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Verses on resurrection are going to be littered throughout my funeral. I hope they are your, for your funeral. The top of the bulletin in my funeral is going to read a worship service of witness to the resurrection. You see, our death just points us to the hope that we have that Jesus' resurrection will result in, for all who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, our resurrection unto life. It's certain. It's sure. I don't want a memorial that memorializes me and says how great a person I was. This is a testimony and a witness to the veracity, the truthfulness of the resurrection and the power that it has, not just to raise me again, but for life today. Life in the here and now. Did Mary and Martha and Lazarus walk away from this terrible brush with death unchanged? I mean, i got to imagine that this, this transformed them, that this really hit them heavy. Yes, they were transformed by the gracious power of Jesus, the resurrection and the life. You know, Johnny Erickson Tata, who in a diving accident ended up being a paraplegic, has been in a wheelchair for the last 50 years. And she was transformed by her brush with death. And not simply dreading life and waiting for Jesus to give her a new body, but she lives in the power of the resurrection today, here and now. Just recently, she said, last week my husband Ken and I were at our Johnny and Friends family retreat in Alabama. We were lunching in the big noisy dining hall when a college-aged volunteer approached me holding a kid with Down syndrome on her hip. She gestured at the crowd and asked, Miss Johnny, do you ever think how none of this would be happening were it not for your diving accident? I flashed a smile and said, it's why I thank God every day for my wheelchair. After she left, I stared for a moment at the dining hall scene. I suddenly had a 35,000 foot view of the moment. She's right. How did I get here? It has everything to do with God and His grace. Not just grace over the long haul, but grace in my tiny moments, like breathing in and breathing out, like stepping stones leading you from one experience to the next. The beauty of such grace is that it eclipses the suffering until one July morning you look back and see the five decades of God working in a mighty way. Grace softens the edges of past pains, helping to highlight the eternal. What you're left with is a peace that's profound joy that's unshakable, faith that's ironclad. Brothers, sisters, will Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life, be your power for living a resurrected life today, here and now? And will He be your hope for eternal life to come? Let's pray. Father, We thank you for the power that you revealed to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, to their home, to their neighbors, to their entire town of Bethany. 
We thank you that word got out to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. Lord, we thank you that word is getting out today, to even to the uttermost parts of the earth, that you are the resurrection and the life. All who believe in you will not die, but shall see life. Lord, we pray that our confidence would be not in us, not in our power or strength, but only in the strength that you provide, the work that you do through us. Bring glory to your name as you refine us, as you perfect us, as you strengthen us by your power. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.